Hey, this is John Morgan. I'm the lead pastor here at Word of Life Church in the nation's capital. I want to personally thank you for taking time out to listen to our podcast today. It's our prayer that you're inspired and that your life is changed for the better while listening. So go ahead, enjoy today's message. Uh, I, want, I want us to go to the book of Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to read to you from Colossians chapter 1 verse 13 to 20. William Barclay uh, said, this is a passage of such importance that we shall have to spend some considerable time on it. And then on these verses, he went ahead to write 17 chapters in one of his commentaries on Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 to 20. This is what it says. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He may be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross." Louis Giglio said, the book of Colossians has one purpose, and that is to reveal the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. So today we begin a three-part series, Jesus Over Everything. My name is John Morgan, and I choose Jesus Over Everything. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word today. We thank You that it's living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to get into our life and penetrate and bring supernatural change from the inside out. Our hearts are ready. Our minds are open. Our spirits are eager. Lord God, we've leaned in. We're getting ready to receive Your Word into our life that You would change us from the inside out and that we'd never be the same. We pray for fresh revelation today from Your Word into our life in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. So Paul's writing to the church at Colossae. It wasn't a church that he had founded. Uh, he had trained up Epaphroditus and then uh, sent him out to uh, plant uh, the church. But he's needing some help. The, the pastor is needing some help talking to Paul. And there has been false doctrine creeping in and infiltrating the church. It's a mixture of uh, Greek mysticism, uh, mystery cults, Hellenistic mysticism, and Hellenistic Judaism. All these thoughts are starting to creep into the church. So Paul is not necessarily dealing with unbelief. What Paul is dealing with is the wrong belief. They are believing the wrong thing. Now, these precursors that have snuck in will eventually form uh, Gnosticism. And there is some debate between scholars whether Paul is actually addressing Gnosticism here or the foundations of that. But the Gnostics taught that there were many pathways to God, that Jesus wasn't the only way. 
And they didn't uh, deny the importance of Jesus. They just simply dethroned Jesus. They didn't claim Him for who He was, that He would have prominence and not preeminence. The Gnostics thought that Jesus was not God. They, they, this Greek philosophy taught there were many uh, sort of ways to God, many mediators, and Jesus wasn't the only way. He was just one way and of, of many ways. And Jesus can't be over everything if Jesus is under anything. The Gnostics also promoted a secret source. The Gnostics promoted that if you would just get smart enough, you would just get clever enough. If you could attain some level of high intelligence, then you would be able to understand what they were teaching and you would be able to connect with God. The Gnostic doctrine, like all false doctrines, took a massive left turn and got crazy. All false teaching ends up leading somewhere in crazy. And so the Gnostics taught that our body was uh, uh, so sinful uh, or they promoted it over sin, but they taught that you needed to punish your body. And so a lot of the Gnostics took part in, you know, beating their body and punishing their body in a way to please God. Now, I, I love the way Paul handles this challenge. Paul doesn't necessarily attack the lie. Paul just outlines the truth. That's the best way to spot a forgery. The best way to spot a forgery is not to discover that or uh, study that which is not real. If you get a $100 note, the best way to discover or find that that is a forgery is not to study a whole heap of forgeries. Find every forged note that you could possibly find. And so when you see it, you better identify it. The best way to discover a forgery is to study the truth. And so you take a real $100 note and you study that intently, know every detail, every facet. And then when you present it with something that's not a real, you're able to look at that and go, that's not real. That's fake. That's fraudulent. Why? Because you studied the truth. Uh, this is Paul's approach. When you are studying the original, it's easy for you to spot the fake. I grew up uh, in Australia, listened to a lot of secular music, a lot of artists. My dad was a musician. Uh, I love music. I love listening to uh, records and radio and MTV, all that. I, lo I loved all of that. And uh, so I would get to know the song, the original song, really, really well. I didn't realise how well I knew it till years later. I was in my 20s and I'd hear a song playing back from when I was 16 and I'd be able to tell, that's not original. There's something wrong with that. They're singing the line, not quite the right way. This is either a re-recording or this is somebody else because I knew what the original was, I was able to spot the change in the song. My wife, Anna, loves to binge watch different shows so she can unwind. I think I've watched every episode of MASH, humanly known to mankind. I've definitely watched every incarnation of Pride and Prejudice ever known to mankind. I think I've watched the movies. I think I've watched the, the uh, um, show on TV, everything. And right now she's into antique roadshows. It's her way of winding down. 
But I notice about the antique roadshow is somebody will bring, you know, like a statue or something that's been in their house for, you know, a hundred years and they'll present it to the expert. And the expert's gonna come out. They study the original. They know what this is supposed to look like. And so when they look at what's being presented, they can spot a fake and say, well, this is a fake, it's worth $33. Or they can say, this is the original, it's worth $33 million. And inevitably, the person who gets it is always shocked. Oh, it's amazing. You know, it's like, they do the same thing every time. Uh, but the, the expert is there to present the original so he can spot the fake. That's how you spot false doctrine. Spotting false doctrine is not becoming an expert on all the false doctrines of the world, but it's knowing who Jesus is. It's needing to know the truth. And I believe this. I believe as a Christian, our Christianity shouldn't be uh, what we're against. What we're against shouldn't be the hallmark of our Christianity. The hallmark of our Christianity should be what we are for and maybe even greater than that, who we know and who we are for. Who we know and who we are for. In 1893 in Chicago, it was 20 years since the Chicago fire. They'd rebuilt Chicago. They wanted to show it off. And so they hosted the World Columbian Expo and they held it over six months and about 21 million people attended. In fact, on one day, they set a, set a record for a, a one day attendance anywhere back then, which was over 700,000 people attended uh, this uh, expo uh, held all over Chicago. And while they were there, there was a, uh, a discussion, there was a gathering of what was called uh, the World Parliament of Religions. The first time these people have held like a Congress. In fact, they've held it multiple times since then. It was interesting in uh, 1993, they held it again in Chicago. They're going back next year to hold it again. The World Parliament of Religions. And so what they did was they gathered religious leaders from all over the world, Buddhist, Baha'i, you know, Hindu, you know, what, whatever, Muslim. You know, they, they just gathered all these people and their goal with this World Parliament of Religions was to get one religious mind of thought to sort of take the best out of all religions and come up, if you like, with a new religion or a new way of doing things. D.L. Moody was a, an evangelist in Chicago at that time. And D.L. Moody's friends were angry at D.L. Moody. They were angry at D.L. Moody because D.L. Moody refused to take a stance against the World Parliament of Religions. He refused to preach from his platform against the World Parliament of Religions. When D.L. Moody saw this, he saw it different. He saw this as a mass collection of people and the religions that were there as an opportunity for evangelism. So rather than preach against the religions, what D.L. Moody said, he said, I'm gonna present Jesus in such a way that people will find Him irresistible. Rather than preach against the darkness, I'm gonna preach to the light. And so he deployed people all over Chicago. They took theatres, uh, they took churches, they did a, a circus tent 
where he deployed evangelists to go and just preach Jesus, Jesus Christ, crucified Jesus Christ, buried Jesus Christ, resurrected Jesus Christ, coming back again. He sent them out, just preach Jesus. Moody said of that crusade, that it was the greatest, most impacting crusade and work of his life. Just present Jesus. In John chapter 12, uh, they're talking with some Greeks. They'd headed uh, to Jerusalem for the Passover. And they asked this question. They said, sir, we, we, wish, we wish to see Jesus. That's my prayer for us, that the world would see in us more of Jesus and less of us. How, how can we make Jesus so attractive that men would turn to Him? That's our job. That's our job. To, to know the power of His resurrection, to know the life-giving Spirit, to know His transforming and regenerating salvation power in our life. To know Him. Not just to know about Him, but to know Him in our life in a powerful way. This passage in Colossians chapter one is one of the most important and detailed passages in Scripture uh, on the doctrine of Jesus. J.B. Lightfoot, a great Bible commentator said, the doctrine of the person of Christ is stated with greater precision and fullness than in any other of St. Paul's epistles. So we're gonna study this passage together. Jesus over everything. Colossians chapter one, verse 13 and 14 tells us that Jesus is over salvation. It says, for He rescued us from the dominion of darkness, brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Verse 15, we see Jesus over everyone. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. We see Jesus over creation in verse 16 and 17. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things and in Him all things hold together. Jesus is over the church. Verse 18 says, And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He may be preeminent. Jesus is over everything, verse 19 and 20. For in Him, all the, in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. Is there anybody in the house that's excited that Jesus is over everything? Why don't you turn to the person beside you and say, hey, my name is, give them your name, don't say John, and Jesus is over everything. So we're gonna look at two of these things today. First one, simply this, Jesus over salvation. Colossians chapter one, verse 13 to 14, He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus is supreme over salvation. He delivered us, the Scripture says. This word literally means to rescue us from danger. 
We couldn't deliver ourselves from the guilt, the consequences and the penalty of sin, but Jesus could and did deliver us. You and I were in danger of spending eternity. Now, let me say this to you. Eternity begins now. Eternity is not something that begins when you're dead. You're living in eternity now. You're gonna go from this life into the rest of eternity. But eternity begins now. And so Jesus came to rescue us from being uh, disconnected from God here on earth and disconnected for eternity. And so He delivered us and He translated us. The word translated literally means to be deported. Hopefully that doesn't make anybody nervous. How you doing, Russell? You got your, everything's good? Citizenship, feeling good? Doesn't make you nervous, that, that words, you're good? Caitlin, you're safe? You're good, you're good to go? God bless America. It's literally to take from one country and move to another. God did that with Israel, taking them out of Egypt into the promised land. And so Jesus has come to move us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. He's come to take us out of the kingdom of Satan into the kingdom of God. He's come to take us from being disconnected from the family of God. There's no longer Jew nor Gentile. He's made one new creation, that's the church. There's no longer man or woman, one new, the the church. We have been moved from there into the bride of Christ. We are the church. He redeemed us. The word redemption literally means uh, that you would... uh, pay for a prisoner or you would uh, buy back a slave. You would pay the price for somebody else. And this is what Jesus did on the cross through His blood. He paid for our sin on the cross. Satan seeks to accuse us and imprison us because he knows that we are guilty of breaking God's laws. But the ransom has been paid on Calvary. Jesus paid the price. By the blood of Jesus, we are redeemed. By the blood of Jesus, though we were as red as scarlet in our sin, today you and I are as white as snow. We've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Safe from sin. Woo! Colossians chapter one, verse 20 says, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of of his cross. Is there anybody that's thankful for the blood of Jesus today at Word of Life? Anybody online excited about that? And it says he's forgiven us. And then we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Redemption and forgiveness usually go hand in hand. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 and 8, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. I, 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 I just love that passage. Gave us redemption and forgiveness, not in a small portion, lavished it on us. There's no limit to God's forgiveness. There's no limit to God's love. There's no limit to God's love for, for you. And so Jesus came in and didn't cancel one debt. He came to cancel all debt. Some of you got to stop praying repentance prayers for sin that you did years ago. Some of you are still going to the throne room of God. Like, hey God, you know, back in 2011, made a few mistakes. Remember I was out doing blah, 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 blah. So God, I just come in and I ask you to forgive me. And heaven goes, what are you talking about? 
Well, in 2011, it was September 5, and the guy's like, um, we're checking the records here. There's nothing on that date except the blood of Jesus. That's all we see is blood. We, we, the debt's been canceled. You, need to, you are the righteousness of God in Christ. Not because of anything that you did, but because He has forgiven us from sin. Jesus is the way. He is the truth. No one comes to the Father except through Him. Jesus is over salvation. Jesus didn't claim to be one of the ways. He is the only way. Why? Because He's the only one that went to the cross. He's the only one that shed His blood. He's the only one that rose from the dead. He's the only one that ascended into heaven. You can throw all the other people throughout history up there, but none of them paid the price for our sin. They're all looking for a way to God. Jesus said, I am God. Jesus is over everyone. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He is, this is, this is the, the beginning point of all Christianity. We start here. He is, the Bible says, in the beginning, God. Before anything, God. Before your sickness, God. Before disease, God. Before your problems, God. Before your issues, God. Before your poverty, God. In the beginning, God. He is. He is. Scientists are right now with new telescopes starting to discover galaxies we didn't even know existed. And before all those things existed, He is. He is the beginning. Our faith is all based on He is. He is the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He is the Alpha. He is the Omega. He is the beginning. He is the end. He is who was and He is who is and He is who is to come. He is the same yesterday. He is the same today and He is the same forever. This is who He is. God revealed Himself as a He is. To Israel, He made covenant promises. He said, I am. I am Jehovah Jireh. He is the God who sees our needs and provides. He said, I am Jehovah Shalom. I am the God who is peace in your life. He revealed covenant names. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the door of the sheep. I am the light of the world. He is all those things. Before anything in your life, Jesus over everything. I don't care what the doctor told you this week. Jesus over everything. I don't care what your neighbour yelled at you this week. Jesus over everything. I don't care what your angry spouse yelled at you this week. Jesus over everything. I don't care what your destructive parents said over you when you were a child. Jesus over everything. I don't care what that angry teacher said to you in the classroom. Jesus over everything. If you're in jail and they said something to you, Jesus over everything. Jesus is over all. He is before everything. He is the image of the invisible God. That word image there is where we get the word in English, icon. It leads to, literally means to be a copy, to be a stamp, 
to be a duplicate, to be the likeness. Jesus is the perfect image and likeness of God. Jesus is not like a God, Jesus is God. Jesus said, if you've seen the Father, you have seen me. Like a stamp produces, this is what Jesus is. Hebrews chapter one, verse three says, He's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for our sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He is the exact image and representation by design of the Most High God. Book of Philippians, Paul wrote, who though he was in the form of God, did not count it equality with God to be something that was grasped. Now, if you know who you are, you never have to prove who you are. Any, anybody that you meet trying to prove how cool they are, probably deep down, they ain't cool. Because cool people don't try to be cool, cool people are just cool, they just, they are. You look at me like, you're a cool person. How come you're so cool? I don't know. Just woke up. See how my hair is. They're just cool. It's like Jesus, He was God. He didn't have to prove He was God. He wasn't running around trying to prove He was God all the time. He made statements that He was God, but He didn't try to. Though He was in the form of God, didn't count it robbery to be equal with God. He knew who He was and therefore He made Himself of no reputation. Anytime someone treated Him like God, Jesus never apologised. When the woman the alabaster flask broke it, spent a year's salary, let's call that $50,000, in one moment, anointing Jesus for burial. Everyone in the room was agitated by the extravagant waste of money, except Jesus. You're like, thank you very much. Why? Because I'm God. I deserve this. This is nothing. When they laid down palm branches on the road, Jesus wasn't like, don't do that. Please don't, no. Just pick them up. I'll just go on the dirt. No, when they, when they sang Hosanna, Jesus was like, thank you, thank you. Why? Because He was God. He knew who He was and therefore He didn't have to try to push it. Now, the word icon literally comes into the book of Genesis and uh, says about us that you and I were created in the image of God. But the difference between you, me and Jesus is we're created in His image. Jesus is the image. That's the difference. The difference between being in and is. He is the image of God. Second Corinthians chapter four says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. He is the image of the invisible God. So we know God is spirit and we must worship Him in spirit and in truth. We know that we are created. Everything that you see in the natural came out of the invisible realm. We know that faith operates in the invisible realm and that's where God is. No one has seen God because God is invisible. There were some you know, uh, interactions throughout the Old Testament, some Christophanies and things like that. But, but for the general, God is invisible. Jesus is the invisible God wrapped in flesh. He is the God-man. He is God who become man and dwelt among us. The Bible says in verse 19, for in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Chapter two, verse nine, for in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. 
We cannot see the invisible God, nor can man comprehend the infinite invisible God. So we know God, we must depend on knowing Him through knowing the God Christ, Jesus. Jesus Christ is God who came from heaven to earth. Jesus is the invisible, the visible manifestation of the invisible God. Jesus is the God Spirit wrapped in flesh. Jesus proclaimed to be God. Jesus, angels uh, certified Jesus as God. Demons acknowledged Jesus as God. Prophets prophesied that the Messiah would be God. And the miracles of Jesus pointed to Jesus being God. In John chapter 14, verse eight, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. She's like, what? Huh? Philip's like, show us the Father. Show us the Father and it's enough. We're, we're doing good. Look what, look, what, look what Jesus says. Jesus said, have I, I have been with you so long and you still do not, do not know me, Philip? What's your issue, man? You have an issue. You've been with me all this time. You still don't know me. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does His works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on the account of the work themselves. Jesus is the manifestation of the message of God. Who Jesus is, God is. So He said, if you've seen me, then you have encountered the Father. Second Corinthians says, the God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. When you look into His face, you see His glory. When we look to Him, we see the Father. We learn things about our Creator through who Jesus was. We find that Jesus uh, came to earth and so we know that God is near, that Bette Midler lied to us. It's a song years ago, from a distance. God is watching us from a distance. Oh, I was pretty. People are, oh, it's pretty. But, but it's like God's like miles away, like not interested, disconnected. He's a distant. Now God's, God's up close and personal. He is closer than you realise. If you realise how close God was, you would worship differently. God's like here. God's not out there looking with a magnifying glass and distracted. God's walking with you wherever you are. God's there. God's with you. When you came into church today, God was with you. You're like sneaking in the back because you ran over a cat and you're running a little bit late, but God was watching you. As you came and you took your seat. I hope no one sees me. Anybody see me? Did Pastor John see me? No, he's astray and he's looking forward. He's not seeing you. But God's here. I can see you. I can see you. So what Jesus teaches us, God is near. In, in other words, He wants to have a relationship with us. This is not a scary thing. This is an incredible thing that the God of creation wants to be close, interactive with us. God is near. We learn from Jesus that God cares, 
that he became flesh and he dwelt among us, which meant he experienced, the Bible says that Jesus was tempted in all ways like us. So he's gone throughout, he knows what it is to be tempted. He knows what it is to experience pain. He knows what it is to be sad. He was a teenager. I wonder if he experienced puberty. I wonder if he got pimples. I just wonder if Jesus got, I've always wondered that. Maybe it's the sin nature and he didn't have pimples. Maybe Jesus was pimple free. That was not my story. Anybody have bad pimples when you're growing up? My mom used to make this concoction. I don't know what it was out of, but it was like oatmeal and stuff. Like she was out the, the back with this cauldron, hubble, hubble, boiling trouble, and with this, you know, oatmeal, and she would just pack my pimple and face. I looked like a pizza. That's how my face looked. And I had so many pimples, and she would just stack it with oatmeal all over. And I, and I, I can remember being like 16 and, and being more scared of my friends coming over, seeing me with oatmeal face than pizza face. But Jesus experienced things. So, so when we're walking through things, we can know, okay, he, he was tempted like that. He felt that. He came to identify. Why, why did He do that? To show us He cared. To show us He wasn't disconnected. He wasn't uninterested. That He loves you. For God so loved the world. God is love. He willingly sacrificed on our behalf. And He's coming back. So God is the future. So God is near. God cares, God is love. And as we heard today, God is coming back. He is the future. He is our hope. We can yield on Him. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now, there are a lot of cults that have taken that word firstborn to try to make Jesus a God, not God. Jehovah Witnesses have done that. They translated John chapter 1, uh, that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was uh, with God and the Word was a God. And they translated that, we'll see, He was, he was born. He was born. And we know He's born in the flesh, but He is the firstborn. He's the firstborn of all creation. What does that mean? That means that He is predominant. He is preeminent. He is the first. He is above everything. It's not talking about, it's not talking about when, it's talking about rank. He is the firstborn. He is over everything. He is over you. He is over me. He is over everything. He's over all creation. He is the firstborn. Israel, were, uh, Moses was told to tell uh, Pharaoh that Israel was his firstborn. Again, wanted Pharaoh to know, Israel, my nation, I've chosen them. They are predominant. Uh, David wrote in the Psalms that he was the firstborn of, of kings, not talking about being the first king because he wasn't. But he was a predominant king. Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. He is first. He is above. He has a name that's above every other name. His name is Jesus over everything. The Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, the prominent figure over all things, Jesus over everything. If you believe that, why don't you stand and give Jesus Christ a great round of applause today. Come on, Jesus over everything. Jesus over your sickness. Jesus over your disease. 
Maybe take your hand, place it wherever there's pain in your body, wherever there's sickness in your body and declare that right now. Jesus over this heart condition. Jesus over this lung condition. Jesus over this blood condition. Jesus over my cancer. Jesus over my migraine. If you're watching online and there's sickness in your body, place it over your eyes. Jesus over my headache. Jesus over my sinus infection. Jesus over my allergies. Jesus over my pain. Maybe put your hand on your wallet today and say, Jesus over my finances. Jesus over my job. Jesus over my career. Baby, stretch it towards the heavens today and say, Jesus over everything. Where do you need to declare His greatness in your life today? He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Jesus is over everything. If you believe that, give Him a great round of applause today. Give Him a great round of applause. Come on, praise Him in the house. Praise Him in the house. Let's worship God together.